morning, everyone. This morning, I want to begin by uh, sharing my testimony with you. I've, I've never actually officially done this here before. I've, I've shared bits and pieces with you. Um, but I think it relates to what we'll be talking about today. So I, I grew up in a, in a Christian home in Iowa, in the luscious, paradise-like state that we call Iowa. And I grew up in a Christian home, and my dad was and is a pastor. Um, that's, not, that's not what he did full-time. Um, he would basically come on Sunday mornings and preach the sermon, and that was his job. But his full-time job was and is to be a uh, comic book and baseball card salesman. He owns a shop in Iowa. But my whole life, I, I went to this same church in this small rural area. It was a church of about 20 people. And most of the people were well older than my parents. So for me, I felt like I had a lot of grandparents there. And um, at this point, most of them have gone to be with the Lord. And my parents did a, I want to say they did a great job teaching me the word. And I, and I look back on that, and I'm so profoundly grateful for that. But for most of my upbringing, there was a huge disconnect between what I knew and how I lived. So that my parents were imparting this information to me, but it made no difference on my life. I was living a double life. So there was a difference between how I acted on Sunday mornings and even how I acted at home and then how I lived my life every other area of my life. My top priority was to be popular, to be one of the cool kids, and I would do anything, say anything to be that. It was a double life. If you looked at my life, Outside of church, you would not have been able to tell what I knew. You see, I could, I could say all the right things, but I didn't have a walk with God. Isn't that scary? Until one day, somewhere in high school, uh, a friend gave me a call. It was back in the day of house phones, right? So it was a big deal, like, oh, it's for me. So I picked it up. And um, he invited me to go to his youth group. I don't think I'd ever been to a youth group ever before. So I was like, okay. I went. And I remember it like it was yesterday. It was one of those moments that I'll just never forget. It will flash before my eyes, if my life ever flashes before my eyes. I was standing in the back of this small chapel. And we were singing these songs And everyone around me was standing, all these people my age, and all of a sudden I was overwhelmed with the sense that I don't know God. I looked around me and I realized I don't know God like these people do. I don't I don't know him like he's right in the room. I don't know him like he loves me or or like he's my friend. I don't I don't know him. And I became so convicted. And that night I, I turned my life to, to Christ. To, to no longer live how I was living. 
And I ask God that I would know him like that. You see, I could, I could give you all sorts of facts about Lionel Messi. Um, he's a soccer player from the Argentinian team. And uh, he might not be feeling so great today. Um, I could give you all these facts about him. Find it on Wikipedia, when and where he was born, all these details about his life. But, I, but I've, I've never sat down and had lunch with him. So I could know about him without actually knowing him. And that night I realized I knew about God without knowing him. And I surrendered my life to God. You could say I met Jesus that night. And I'm not talking about picturing a like a, uh, an image of a, a Renaissance European Jesus, but that the eyes of my heart were opened to see who he truly is. Not just a fact in my head, but a person. The Lord and Savior of my life who actually loved me, who actually died for me, that by faith I can actually belong to him and, and live for him forever. And I want you to know someone helped me meet him. My friend, God used him in my life. In other words, he was instrumental in bringing me to the Lord. Isn't that often how it happens? Now, every believer's story is different. There's as many different stories as there are fingerprints and snowflakes. But I think this is often a common theme. In fact, uh, nod your head at me if as a believer... You can think of someone who is instrumental in bringing you to the Lord. Someone who invited you or brought you along in some way or form to see who Jesus is. Someone who helped you meet him. Go ahead and nod at me. There's a lot of nods going on. You see, I believe this is an essential part of our witness. So this morning we're going to continue in our series on witness, and the desire and aim for this series is to see people more empowered and equipped in this area of our lives, because oftentimes it's a struggle. I shared with you a study last week that showed, it surveyed uh, uh, unchurched Americans 18 through 29, and it showed that there's so many people out there who are open to listening and learning about Jesus, but at the same time, the church at large is having a hard time going there. With people. And I don't think this study is the end all be all, but we can often relate to that in our lives, can't we? Even when our hearts are there, even when we're excited about what Jesus has done for us in our day to day life, we often find it hard to be a witness. So we might think, yes, I want this. I want to live into this more. But what does it look like? This series is about giving us glimpses of different people being a witness all throughout Scripture in different scenarios so that we can take those and translate them into our lives to see how this might look in each of our lives. Concrete, tangible examples. So last week we learned from this little Israelite girl who was a witness to Naaman, the commander of uh, a Syrian army. And today we'll learn from one of the very first followers of Jesus who are willing to be witnesses In much the same way my friend was to me. So if you have a Bible, if you can, I invite you to turn to John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. If you're able, 
Uh, you can find it on a phone if you'd like. John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. And what I'll do is, I'll retell the story. But I'd like for you to follow along if you can. So it's John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. You never not quite know what's in store for you when you wake up in the morning, do you? That was certainly true for two particular disciples of John the Baptist. They woke up in the morning. It seemed to be an ordinary day for them. They went and met up with their teacher, John, and they were standing there talking. You can imagine John wearing his typical camel hair vest. And eating what he was famous for, locusts. I imagine him chomping on them like potato chips. So they're standing there, talking. And all of a sudden, Jesus crosses in front of them. Mid-sentence, John says, wait, wait, wait. That's the one. That's the Lamb of God. You see, the day earlier... Jesus had described him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John is saying, wait, 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 wait. That's him. That's the one I've been talking about. That's the Lamb of God. That's the one who has come to finally cleanse us. And so you know what happened? His disciples left him. John, the Baptist, lost disciples that day. His Twitter account reduced to two less followers. Yet I'm sure he wasn't upset. Yet I'm sure he was glad. Why? Because as a witness, John the Baptist was not trying to build his own little kingdom. Isn't that always essential to being a witness? And so these two disciples went off looking for Jesus. And eventually they started following him. I imagine them kind of trailing behind him sheepishly. What do we do? And eventually Jesus turns around and says to them, Hey guys, what are you looking for? And they say to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? In other words, we got a lot of questions for you. More questions than we could address right here. Can we spend some time with you? The question hung in the air. They didn't know how he would respond. They didn't know if he would accept them. They didn't know if he would turn them away. And Jesus says, sure. Come along. And so he takes him, he takes them to the home where he was staying. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon and they got to spend the rest of the day with Jesus. You see, you never quite know What's in store for you when you wake up in the morning? These disciples certainly didn't. From that day forward, their lives would never be the same. They met Jesus that day. And so I imagine them coming out of the house. And I want you to know the conversation did not go like this as they were leaving the door. Hey, we just met the Messiah. Like, doesn't that make you feel kind of special? Like, we're in and everybody else is out? 
Like, what if we just kept it to ourselves? What if this was just for us and not for them? We could make a club. No, it didn't go like that. In fact, one of the disciples named Andrew made a beeline right to his house. He's like, where's my brother? Where's my brother? Where's my brother? I got to find him. I got to find him. He went into his house. He found his brother and he's like, Simon, we found the Messiah. And so he brought Simon to Jesus. He brought his brother Simon to Jesus. He brought his brother Simon all the way to meet Jesus. And Jesus looked at him in the eyes and said, You are Simon, son of John, but from now on, you will be called Cephas. In other words, Peter. This was Peter. This disciple brought Peter to Jesus. And we hardly know anything about him. It was, it was Peter's brother, Andrew. We hardly know anything about him. In fact, pretty much all we do know in Scripture is that every time we see him, he's bringing someone to Jesus. Later on, he's the one that brought the little boy to Jesus who had the fish and the loaves, and Jesus multiplied them and fed the thousands. Do you think that made an impact on that little boy's life? And then later on, not long before Jesus died and rose again, there was this group of Gentiles who really wanted to meet Jesus. But they didn't quite know if they could. They didn't quite know how. So I bet you can guess who was the one who brought them to Jesus. It was Andrew. We don't know much about him. We hardly know anything at all. But what a legacy. He brought people to Jesus, including Peter. Peter met Jesus. The next day, Jesus went out and and he found Philip, and he said to Philip, follow me. Boom. Philip met Jesus. And then Philip goes out, and he finds his friend Nathaniel. And he says to him, Nate, dude, we found the one that Moses wrote about, and the prophets wrote about, that all of Scripture is about. Found the one we are waiting for. In other words, we found the Messiah. It's Jesus of Nazareth, Joseph's son. And without even looking up, Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You see, Nazareth was a small rural area that most people overlooked. No one expected much of it. It was often the brunt of jokes from people in that region. So I want you to know, you can keep this in your pocket, Jesus was from the Middle Eastern equivalent to Iowa. (laughs) Think about that. So, Nathaniel's defenses were up. He was skeptical. So notice how Philip responds. 
He doesn't get all huffy like, <laughs> he doesn't get in a social media war with him. He doesn't yell at him or try to argue his friend into the kingdom. What does he say? Someone help. Come and see. Come and see. And Nathaniel does. So, Philip brought him to Jesus. Philip brought Nathaniel to Jesus. Philip brought his friend Nathaniel all the way to meet Jesus. And Nathaniel, as they were walking towards Jesus, Jesus called out to him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. In other words, Jesus says, I know who you are. I know that you are an honest man. You don't try to fool people. You say what you mean. (laughs) You can tell Jesus hit the nail on the head because Nathaniel's like, whoa, how do you know me? He doesn't even greet Jesus. And Jesus says to him, before Philip came up to you earlier, I saw you under that fig tree. And Nathaniel's mind races. He thinks, wait, 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 wait. There was no one in eyesight when I was there. Wait, I didn't tell anyone I was there. I thought I was utterly alone. The only way Jesus could have seen me is supernaturally. And so he says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Nathaniel, someone who was skeptical, met Jesus. Isn't that the best thing we could do for anyone, no matter where they're at? Is help them to meet Jesus. And Jesus says to him, you believe because I told you you were sitting under a fig tree earlier. I want you to know you will see greater things than these. Things far more powerful and far more miraculous. In fact, every single one of you will see heaven opened and you will see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. In other words, he was talking about Jacob's famous vision of a ladder, Jacob's ladder, back in Genesis. And Jacob saw this ladder and there were angels ascending and descending on the ladder. And Jacob named that place Bethel. The meeting place between God and humanity. So in other words, Jesus is saying you will see heaven opened and you will see the meeting place between God and humanity in me. You see, they met the Messiah. They met the one who would save them. But Jesus is already letting them know he will save them far more than they realize. He will save them from the power and grip of sin and death by dying on a cross, rising again so that he can be the true and new and ultimate meeting place between God and humanity. So he can be the way by faith that we can Meet God. Dwell with God and be with God. They met the Messiah. Within a 48-hour time frame, Jesus, who was alone when John the Baptist spotted him, now is surrounded with a circle of followers, 
sitting around him. By the close of this passage, a chain reaction has taken place and two early followers of Jesus has become five. And apart from Jesus, the two individuals that God primarily used were Andrew and Philip. They were willing to be witnesses. So what can we learn from them? Their examples really overlap, right? It's almost the same story because there's so much similarity. What can we learn from their example? I believe there's two key elements that they both demonstrated. Two key elements to their witness. Their motivation and their invitation. So first, let's look at their motivation. For both Andrew and Philip, there's hardly any other way to take their response to Jesus than pure excitement. Right? We have found the Messiah. It's not, we found the Messiah. Or, how was your day? Oh yeah, I found the Messiah. No big deal, how was your day? No, there's, there's clearly an excitement there. And that's reinforced by the fact that both of them immediately go out and tell others. Look especially at verse 41. It says, Andrew first found his own brother. The NIV translation captures this sense well. It says the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother. So he rushes out. I gotta, I gotta tell Simon. And the very same day that Philip met Jesus, he goes out and finds Nathaniel. He doesn't waste time. Do you see the excitement there? An excitement that naturally spills over and they just want to genuinely tell others what they've experienced. So what was their motivation? I would describe it as joy. Joy propelled their witness. And this will propel our witness as well. It's not just a sense of dry duty. It's not guilt, manipulation, or coercion. It's joy. I'm not saying that all you need to witness is joy. Kind of like gasoline isn't all you need to get to Alabama. No, you also need a car. Joy isn't everything we need to witness, but it is the fuel. Without joy, I don't think our witness will get very far. So the question is, how do we foster our joy? Not the always happy, clappy stuff, but true joy. I believe our joy comes from appreciating who he, who Jesus is and all that he's done in our lives. It's about grasping that he is the best thing in our lives by far. So no matter what, if we have Jesus, we still have this deep down, unrelenting reason to rejoice, even if it's not always upbeat. But what sometimes happens is that we start to take for granted what we have in Jesus. It's no longer the best thing in our lives. And so we foster a fresh appreciation of how good it is. As people who have placed their faith in Jesus that our sins are completely forgiven. There's not and never will be the tiniest speck of stain on us before God. How good it is that we are brought absolutely near to God in relationship with Him. Connected to Him, our Maker, who our hearts were made for. How good it is that He 
has become our father and that we can only expect to be treated as his dearly loved children every day of our lives. How good it is that we stand in grace like a personal storm cloud that follows us everywhere we go. How good it is that his love for us is not based on our actions and feelings, but constantly poured into our lives. How good it is that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives within every believer. How good it is that our past does not define us. How good it is that our shame does not have say over us. How good it is that we are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. How good it is that our worth is not found in our performance, relationships, titles, or whatever, but ultimately and unchangingly in the price that was paid for us at the cross. How good it is that we have a hope to hold on to. And on, and on, and on, and on. Every single day of our lives. We have to place our minds there. And remember how good it is. Do you remember how good it is? That's where our joy comes from. A fresh appreciation for who Jesus is and all that he's done for us. And that, that will propel our witness. So that it naturally spills over and we just, we just want to genuinely tell others how good it is. Like Andrew and Philip, this was their motivation. Joy. Number one, motivation. So now number two, their invitation. Their invitation was simple. Come and see. It was actually Philip who said this, but essentially Andrew did the exact same thing with his actions. He went to his brother Peter and brought him to meet Jesus. Come and see. So let's break this down in two parts. Number one, come. It's important that we see that being missional includes being invitational. And invitation requires more than just waiting for people to show up. It means going to people like Andrew and Philip, and bringing them. And part of that is getting into people's lives outside of these four walls. Not spiritually compromising in the world, but not of the world, yet truly connecting authentically. Authentically connecting. Not like, I'm only in your life to make you a Christian. No. Real connections. I'm in your life, period. And yes, I'm open about my desire for you to come to Christ. Why? Because that's the best thing that's ever happened to me. So of course I want that for you. Duh. But if you don't respond that way, I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere. You are not a project. Someone came to me years ago and said, come. Someone invited me. And we can invite people in our lives as well. I hope that we can be encouraged today that this is not super complicated. Just like last week with the Israelite girl, it's not a full presentation yet, but God used it and it's part of being a witness. Come. Number one, come. So the second part, and see. Come and see. They brought people to meet Jesus to see him. But how do we help people see Jesus if he's no longer walking around the earth in the flesh. I believe there's at least four main ways that Jesus is now revealed. Four main ways. How do we help people see Jesus? Number one, the Holy Spirit. 
This this part pervades them all, but I want to cover it here. Jesus is no longer here in the flesh. But after he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, he sent out the Holy Spirit into the world. And, and the most famous part where he describes the work of the Holy Spirit is in John chapter 16. If you're ever interested, you can look it up. John chapter 16. And in John 16:14, Jesus summarized the Spirit's ministry. And he said this, John 16:14. He says, the spirit, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. In other words, the Holy Spirit will make Jesus known to people. The Holy Spirit does a lot of things, but this is his main job. This is his primary purpose to make Jesus known to people. He helps people truly see Jesus for who he is and what he has done. And so that means for our part. Let's get concrete here. For our part, as witnesses, we need to pray. Pray that the Holy Spirit would do his work in the lives of those around us. Pray that he would make Jesus known to this person. Pray that he would help this person see Jesus. History shows us that nearly every revival is preceded by a movement of prayer. But how about the small revivals? How about the people in our lives? Is it any different? So let me ask, who are you praying for? Number one, the Holy Spirit. Number two, Scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus says that all of Scripture points to him. In John chapter 5, Jesus says Scripture bears witness to him. In other words, Jesus is revealed in Scripture. We can see his glory in the night sky. We can ponder him as we sit in nature. But if you want to see Jesus, there's no better place than this. That's why inviting people on Sunday mornings is part of this whole come and see thing. But I do think that oftentimes when we hear about bringing people, that's the main thing we, that's the main thing we think about, right? Bringing people to church. And I hope that you know this morning, That it's much more than that. But yes, bringing people on Sunday mornings is part of that. Because we are committed to unpacking scripture. Where there's power for people to see Jesus. But beyond Sunday mornings, it also means inviting people to look at scripture with you. I strongly believe that this is the most helpful way to introduce someone to Jesus. Get in the word with them. And if you're exploring Jesus, if you're not there yet, I just, I just want you to know this is the most helpful way to meet Jesus. It starts here. Get in the Word with someone. If there's someone in your life who's open to spiritual things, a family member, a friend, a coworker, why not invite them to look at the Word with you? Scripture reveals Jesus. Number three. So we got Holy Spirit. We got Scripture. Number three, our lives as believers. If the Holy Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus lives within us as believers and we're walking in that, then our lives should testify to Him. For many people, your life as a believer might be the first reflection of Jesus that they see. So I'll keep this one simple. Are we hiding? Are we hiding by being undercover Christians at work or in the neighborhood or with friends? 
People need to see the difference God has made in our lives. Are we hiding by being undercover? And then also, are we hiding by being busy? How will people see our lives if there's no room for them in our lives? So I want to challenge us this morning to open up. To open up about our faith with people. Not being undercover. And to open up our homes to people. And to open up our schedules to people. And share our lives with people. Not hiding with busyness. If God has made a difference in our lives, then part of being witnesses is genuinely letting people in. The Holy Spirit. Scripture. Our lives as believers. And lastly, a loving community of believers. In John 13, Jesus famously says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In other words, this is how people will see the distinguishing mark of Jesus on our lives, by how we love one another. So the question is, do we love one another in such a way that those around us get a glimpse of Jesus? It has to, it, it must be something more than being friendly with one another, right? If we're just friendly with one another, then how does that make us any different? How does that reveal Jesus? It has to be something like radical love that Jesus displayed. Radical love that I want you to know I have experienced in this church over the past seven years. I could tell you story after story of of people who have just loved us so selflessly, who have just blown us away. With love. Not seeking credit, but just loving. So I want you to know I've seen this here. I've seen this here, church. So I want to say let's, let's do that. Let's do that. Let's do that more and more. Let's be that. Let's be that radically loving people. Those people who lay down our lives for one another. Who meet real needs. Who are with one another no matter what. Let's be that. Let's love in such a way that people can catch a glimpse of Jesus. Number one, the Holy Spirit. Number two, Scripture. Number three, our lives as believers. Number four, a loving community of believers. Andrew and Philip were willing to be witnesses. Their motivation, joy. Their invitation, come and see. So as a conclusion, I just want to be straight up. Can we do that? With God's help, can we work on our joy? A fresh appreciation for who Jesus is and all that he's done for us, how good it is. And can we simply invite people to come and see Jesus? It made a difference in my life. And I know God can use it to make a difference in the lives of those around us. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would show us how to respond to your word this morning. I pray that we would. God, I pray that. That you would empower us and encourage us who believe in you as witnesses and that you would lead us forward in this, God. We need you. And I pray, God, that if there's people here who are exploring Jesus, that they would see Jesus, that the Holy Spirit would help them see who Jesus is and what he's done in their hearts, God, that people would meet Jesus for your glory.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.